When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all of the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to stay tuned after today's interview for Hollaback. That's my Q&A where I'm answering questions from my listeners, so be sure to stay tuned. Before joining the Real Housewives of New Jersey in 2018, my next guest, Jackie Goldschneider, was an attorney and a freelance journalist. She has contributed extensively to publications, including Good Housekeeping, The Huffington Post, and USA Today. On my show, Jackie and I are going to talk about societal pressures that we all face. She's been very candid about her struggles with anorexia and vocal about her fertility journey. She is a woman that shows up brave and ready and unapologetic. We're going to find out where that confidence comes from. I'm so excited to have her. Welcome, Jackie. I can't wait to meet you and learn so much more about you. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Okay, so you've got like a serious background. One of my favorite things in the world is writers. Now, one of my best friends in the world, Carol Radziwell, is a writer. And I have such an affinity for writers because I love to read. And I also love words as expression. You know, I mean, it's just such a beautiful craft. And I love to read some of the pieces that you wrote. And I just, for those of you who don't know, Jackie is a major journalist. She has written for everybody from US Today to the Today Show. She's had articles that were one of the most read stories ever, had good housekeeping named her. I want to talk about that. So tell me, how did writing come to you? And how did you know, like, it was a calling in your soul? Did Did you always love English? Like, what was it? Well, I always loved, like, I, I had all these words inside my head always. And everything that I was going through, I was like, you know, I could write an article about that. But I just didn't do it for so long because it's hard to actually sit down and do something. So when I stopped practicing law, I said, how do I break into journalism? I was trying to get entry-level jobs as an editor, and I couldn't do anything. And I said, I should probably just give this up. And then one day I said, you know what? I'm just going to start submitting things and see if anything sticks. And it really just snowballed. Once I started writing and getting things accepted, people started coming to me, asking me if I wanted to pitch anything. And it really, if you keep at it, you'll get somewhere with it. 
I love that because what you did is you overcame the barrier. You said, listen, I might not be getting what I want, so I'm going to go, I'm not going to let it beat me. I'm going to still go out after it. And you took it upon yourself to submit your own stories and look what you've done with that. That's incredible. That, that's a success story. I love that. Looking fear in the face and pushing it away. Fantastic. Right. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, because I've spent too much time that I like to you know, say in a courtroom, and I found through some lawsuits, I'm, a, I'm an inventor, I own patents, and so you're constantly defending your patents and that sort of thing. And those were really uh, crucial learning experiences for me being inside the, the courtroom. As a lawyer, and when you left law, can we talk a little bit about that? Was it because you were disappointed or tired of it? Did some of the things you saw in the courtrooms or in your practice ignite you to want to tell stories and write a little bit more? Was there any synergy between the two careers? I, I was curious. I practiced a few different types of law in my journey after law school, and I did find that my stint as a litigator, where I did the most writing, was my most enjoyable year. It was when I got to be creative and I got to put things down in a way that really made sense and an order that made sense. And I loved doing that. But so I'd say that's the only overlap, but I didn't enjoy practicing law as much as I did law school. Law school, I could have stayed there for a hundred years. I love learning. I love being a student and I love being surrounded by other students, but I didn't love so much the energy of law firms. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. I love that you said I loved learning about law. I loved law school. I could stay there forever. That makes total sense to me because I have this new motivation after everything that we've been going through in the world that we just need to just look and I'm no teacher and I don't come from a family of educators or anything like that, but it just seems like a white space for me that from kindergarten through 12th grade, we should be teaching about the process of politics and the processes of law and the history of the country that isn't a whitewashed one. That's a true balanced history and educators because you learned so much. You were probably a sponge in law school because there was so much to know. Right? Oh my goodness. There there really is. And some of this stuff should definitely be taught in like regular schools. There is no reason why people shouldn't know constitutional law. Yes. You know, and how the Supreme Court works and all of that. There's such a rich history. And it's just, that's why I love law school so much. Yeah. And there was, you know, when I left, there was still a thousand other classes that I wanted to take. hundred percent. And I can say that if I had known a little bit more, I might've even been better in my own journey understanding patents and filing patents. It was just such a whole new world to me that I had like literally zero background and I had to rely on so many people. And I just wished I knew a little bit more about the way it worked. So yeah. that's my little soapbox. We're going to do a little soapbox and Jackie. Let's do it. <laughs> so I want to talk about one of your articles for good housekeeping. What I lost when I changed my last name. Now that's one of the most read stories in a year that good housekeeping had published. Can you tell us about that story and why you wrote it and what it meant just for the people who haven't read it yet? I want to bring it yeah. back to life. I feel like for women, when you get married, I personally felt like I needed to change my last name because that was showing my husband that I was invested and loyal and that's what you do. And I didn't really even give myself a choice. But once I changed my last name, I was Jackie Mark for 30 years before that. And then suddenly it was gone. I wasn't Jackie Mark anymore. And I lost all of that. No one knew I was my parents' daughter, if you hadn't known that already. Nobody knew I was my brother's sister. And like, I kind of felt like I had to make the choice of 
being my husband's wife or being the person I was for 30 years. And I want my daughter to know that you don't have to make that choice. But it's a hard one because then you don't have the same last name as your children. So there's all these parts of it. And I just always thought about it. And I said, you know what? Let me write about this. I love that. So what did you come up with? What's the end of the article? Tell us. Tell us what it teaches us. Well, it teaches, you know, there's no judgments in it about whether or not you're a good wife if you change your last name. The point of it was just that I want my daughter to know that she is in charge of that decision. And if she decides that she'd like to keep her last name, that that's not her husband's decision. I mean, obviously, it's maybe something that you could discuss if you have a nice, respectful relationship, but that there's no indication of whether or not you're a good wife or a good mother, if you have the same last name as your husband or your children, that has nothing to do with anything like that. And I just want her to know that she is in charge of that decision and to think about that before she gets married, rather than just doing something impulsively. What I love the most about the article was that you were saying, okay, so we've been boxed in by society's rules and it's super ego, right? It's we're feeding this super ego side of life. Like you're supposed to do this and this is what we expect from you. And the husband expects you to take their name. And all of a sudden you kind of wake up one day and you're like, why? Like, why am I following this rule? And I think that it's obviously a time of change, but I think Moreover, it's a time of really looking at some of these things that we just do naturally because we've been told to do them and saying, wait, I don't want to do that. Like changing your name, for example, I hyphenated my name, but I really didn't. I changed my middle name is what I did because I had made a name for myself. Like I, I had Heather Thompson is what people knew me as. And I wanted to take my husband's name because just like we're trained that we're supposed to do that. Like the husband is expecting the wife to take his name. It's like part of it. So as much as it's a pressure on us, it's an expectation that's built into them. Yeah. And you know, when I was doing my research for this, there are a lot of husbands who are very against their wife keeping their last name. Yes, there are. They consider it a huge sign of disrespect or like an indication that, you know, you're not really in it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I chose, so what I did is I was born Heather Ann Thompson. And when I got married, I changed my name to Heather Thompson Schindler. So I took my maiden name as my middle name for the reason of my children. So that if I was Mm -hmm. signing documents or we were doing things together or in school, I was, you know, Mrs. Schindler. God, I hate when people call me that. It's so funny, but (laughs) yeah, you know what I mean? But then in the real world, I was, I was Heather Thompson. And it also gave me once I was on the housewives and that sort of thing, it gave me a little anonymity when I was Heather Schindler, because no one knew that name. Right. So I used it to my advantage, you know, as well. Yeah. But it's true. And, And I, and I thought about your article And I thought about my husband and I had the discussion. We were watching The Queen. We watched that series on, I think, Netflix. And I don't know if you know this or not, but this was a big problem in the House of Windsor because Queen Elizabeth, her husband, wanted her to take his name. But the family, her father had been king. And so her mother had to say, no, 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 you will keep your name, House of Windsor. And for her husband, Philip, you know, so, you know, emasculating for him as a man married to the queen, he has to bow to her. She doesn't take his name. It was to me such a picture of exactly what you're talking about in the most extreme way. Right. Yeah. You know, a lot of women don't think they even have a choice. Yeah. You know, they just do it automatically. Yep. So that was my point with the articles. And I love doing that is like taking something that people might not be talking about, but that a lot of people are thinking. 
I just love that. So when you moved from law and by the way, you know, you went to Fordham and you were like magna cum laude. So you could tell that you, you know, you graduated with high honors. You could tell that you really did get into reading law and applying law because you were an amazing student. So after you came out of that and you started freelancing as a journalist and you started writing a lot of pieces that were meaningful to you, what do you think some of your favorite were, the the ones that you were the most proud of that you thought really were resonating, making change or making people think? Because after all, that's what writers are doing. They're either getting people to think or getting their imaginations to open or take new perspectives, which is what I love about it. So was there anything that you really were proud that you put out there? One of my favorite ones was about the feelings I had when I found out I was pregnant with twin boys, because I think this is another thing that people don't talk about. And it was really uncomfortable to write about. And the reaction I got was just so overwhelming of women saying, I felt that way too. It was that I was scared to go through life without a daughter and the feelings of being so happy to be pregnant, but not fully being happy because you felt like there was something missing and you were nervous. And going through my pregnancy with all of these mixed feelings about, well, what am I going to do next? And not wanting to think about that, but you know whether a mother can feel complete without having a daughter, those kinds of feelings, which people don't talk about because you're That's not right. supposed to want anything but a healthy child. And of, right. course, of course you do, but you can't pretend that feelings like that don't exist. So, I mean, when I was a little girl growing up, I always wanted to be a mom and I never envisioned that as happening without having a little girl in the mix. And so I had to confront a lot of feelings and uh, I wrote about that one and the reaction was fantastic. And so I was really, really proud of that article. I'm proud of you for that article too, because the things that we think in our heads doesn't make us bad people. We're so afraid of saying something that someone's going to say, oh, that's so offensive. And of course, you only want a healthy child. But your feelings and the things that you think in your head are real. And I think we're so fearful of, you know, being judged, right? Being slammed again in the box of super ego and society of what we're supposed to do and say. And so I find you to be so refreshing because of your brevity. You're so brave to be uncomfortable, And obviously that's a big theme today, getting, you know, comfortable being uncomfortable, but I was always okay stepping out in, into the world like that. I think older, my, in, in my older age, I've found fear a little bit when I didn't have it at a younger age, because I've been punched and clocked so many times. Obviously the housewives was an experience that can be very joyful, but very sorrowful at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I, I applaud your brevity to, to get out there and talk about the things that are uncomfortable to talk about. So I love that article. Thanks. And, and then I have- did a bunch of fun ones. I had a lot of fun ones up on Huffington Post that people just really related to. And they weren't about major events, but they were like, I did one that was up uh, like on the homepage that was 25 times I had mom guilt before 9 a.m. this morning. And people love stuff like that or why I curse in front of my children. And that was a fun one. Had a I saw that one. I curse yeah. for my children too. It was one of those things I couldn't avoid. I just kept trying and we had the money jar and I'm like, listen, I can't keep the money jar and your private school education going. Yeah, right. <laughs> Mama's got a bad mouth. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Caitlin Carter, host of the Bright Side Podcast. I created the show as a space for people who have had an impact in my life to further inspire others through their stories, their honesty, their kindness and optimism. Each week, I'll be sitting down with inspiring friends, new and old, to have meaningful conversations centered around our own experiences 
with complete transparency and authenticity. We will discuss how we face challenging moments, adjust perspective, and reframe situations to find the silver lining. I personally believe that there is a bright side to every situation, and I'm excited to have this platform to encourage that way of thinking and share this message with you all. New episodes come out on Tuesdays, so come join me and start your week on the bright side. Okay, so you practiced law until about 2008. Then, you, you know, you were writing, you were doing freelancing at this time, but then did you make the decision to actually leave law because you wanted to be at home with your mom, with your kids or did you want to focus more on freelancing or a little bit of both? Was it a hard decision to leave law after all? No, so um, it happened very organically. So when I got pregnant with my first set of twins, I didn't feel good. So I stopped practicing what I thought was just going to be like for a little while to stay home with the kids. But at the time, I didn't ever think that I would be moving to New Jersey. I mean, my parents are here, but I thought I'd be like a city woman Mm -hmm. and, you know, the fifth member of Sex in the City pushing (laughs) around my little stroller. And then once I had two kids in a little apartment, I was just done. So we moved to Jersey, but I never took the Jersey bar. So I would have had to go back. Law is a career that a lot of times doesn't lend itself to being part-time or remote. And right. so I didn't want to go back full-time to a very heavy career and commute when I had, I had four kids on, under the age of three. So, yeah. yeah. So I just decided to let it go. And when I started writing, I loved it so much. And the money obviously was nothing compared to law, but my husband does well. So we could afford to stay home. And so I, I really made a career and I was making some money from the writing by the time I got on the housewives, but it wasn't like I decided to like law isn't for me anymore. Let me let it go. I just, I never took New Jersey's bar and I just didn't want to sit for another bar exam. Oh gosh. I can only imagine that. Yeah. I would probably yeah. agree with that. Now. Okay. So let's just jump to the housewives for a second. So I, I do want to talk about the fact that you have two sets of twins and it's just, I had two in, you know, diapers in bottles at the same time I, on bottles. I can't imagine having four. So like superhero award, like you get the gold stars, but let's talk about the housewives because you just mentioned, I want to jump right in. How did you make the decision to join the cast? How did it come to you? What's your story? How did it happen? <sighs> I don't know how much I can reveal. Obviously, they you can't really break too much of the fourth wall. But it's funny because I live two blocks away from a cast member who was on Siggy Flicker, who was on seasons uh, seven and eight yes. before I got on. I started season nine. So whenever we would drive past our house, my husband and I would just be like, I don't know who would ever do something like that. Can you imagine? And we'd be like, you got to be crazy. So when they called me, I automatically said no. Because I just thought after all those conversations with Evan, how am I going to say yes to something like this? And then I came home and I called my friends and they were like, you're crazy. Call them back. And my mother said the same thing. And I said, well, let me talk to my husband. And I said, you know, can I give it a shot? They're probably looking at a thousand people. And he said, well, what's the chances you're going to get it? I said, like slim to none. He said, yeah, go for it. And I think that little by little phone call after phone call, interview after interview, it was like. I just stayed in it. And and eventually I was like, is this really going to happen? Could this really happen? As you know, from Teresa calling me a stalker, like I had always been a fan of the show. You never think when you're watching a show that one day you'll be on it. But, you know, life it works in mysterious ways. So. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah. Your story is not too dissimilar to mine. The first when they called me, I said, hell no. I thought they were calling me for another reason. I didn't realize what it was at first. It took me a second. And I did the same thing. I Then I said to John, well, maybe we should just try. 
you know, like what are our chances of getting it? And then sure enough, we got it and the rest is history. But it's exceptional to me, the reputation. Everybody, the first reaction, well, not everybody, some people really love it and, you know, they've been on it for a long time or whatever. But I think a lot of people's reaction It's a love-hate or like a ooh-ah, if you will, about the show. And so you had these kind of like, even though you were a fan of the show, you were like, it's crazy to do it. So what was it that changed your mind? Because you are unapologetically yourself. You have a great deal, deal of confidence. You're brave in what you put out there in papers and talking about open discussions. So was that it? You were like, I got this or... No, I felt like if I set parameters for myself and I really stick to them, then I'll be okay. So I I made some rules for myself. Every time I'm about to start filming, I remind myself, you know, be very open and be fun, but don't do anything that impulsively that you're going to have a hard time watching back. You know, don't make a fool of yourself because one day you and your kids and your parents are going to be watching that back. And like, I always try to do things that I'll be proud of, you know, listen, I talked about blowjobs last season, the fact that I don't blow my husband and like, he didn't really love that on air. But beyond that, I don't really do like, I'm never going to be falling down drunk or like, I don't know. And I always said the day that the show tries to break my family or embarrass my family or do something really that crosses the line or expects me to be a different person and act in a way that's not authentic to me then it's not for me anymore. And I think what makes that easy is that I do have things and I love the show and I would like to stay on it for a very long time, but I do have things to fall back on. So it's not like the show is the only thing going on in my life. So if by some chance, whenever it does happen that the show is not here anymore, you know, I love writing and I have other, you know, I have a law degree. Like I have a million other things that I'd like to do and that I can do So I'm not like terrified of not being a part of it one day. Although again, I would love to be a part of it for a very long time, but I'm not, I don't have that fear inside me of, oh God, I have to do anything I can to make sure that I stay on this show. Yeah. So I'm trying to, I'm reminding you joined in 2018, right? So you've been on three years. Yes. My third season's about to air. See, I love that you build these parameters because you have to work within your own bumpers and your bumpers may be different than someone else's bumpers. And you made that you know, decision to yourself. What was interesting for me and what I find interesting now that the franchise has been around for so long is the people that are cast on the show now are fans. You know, when I got cast on the show, I didn't watch it. I didn't have any preconceived notions. I didn't really know much about it. Now, of course, I watched a few of the New York episodes and stuff before I came on. But my feeling was I wanted to go like totally raw and virginal. Like I didn't really want to know anybody. I wanted to build the relationships authentically. And that just wouldn't even work today. You know what I mean? It served me then. But I noticed uh, because I do, I've been doing cameos on the show really since I left every now and then because I did Mm -hmm. also enjoy it. And my feeling was I always definitely look back now and say I left at the right time because I left when it stopped being fun for me, when it stopped feeling good in my stomach, when I stopped feeling I was progressing from my own self and my family in life, like it was time for me to move on from it. So I had a really healthy relationship with it. 
Mm-hmm. Going back into it six years later, I've been off the show for six years. It's so crazy. Where does the time go? I feel like an OG girl. I feel like an OG. And I was yeah, I consider you like an OG. <laughs> you I know? can't believe you've been off for so long. Isn't that so crazy? So how many seasons were you on? Same as you, three. Three. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't reached that point yet where I feel like I definitely don't think that my time is done. I mean, that's up to the Bravo gods, you know, but when I do, I think that the problem is that people stay past their prime and that's when they melt down. And I don't, I don't ever want that to happen to me, but definitely not there yet. (laughs) Yeah, no girl, you got it going on. I mean, for me, I also had a lot going on in my personal life and a lot of the things that were happening in my personal life, like really couldn't be on the show or they didn't really, like I was going back to nutrition school, studying nutrition is like, how they going to really show that. And so I didn't really feel like I could be authentically even me, you know, and showing up with everything that I could, you know, show off in life as well. You know what I mean? So it was just kind of, I think it was on, you know, both sides. And that's why I think they liked me keeping a toe in the water. And I liked keeping a toe in the water going back in, but to, to come back and shoot like a full weekend with the girls, which I just did was, I was like shocking. And I realized yeah. it wasn't for me anymore. You know and yeah. I, I mean? And it also, it, it depends on the people in your life, right? I mean, if my husband one day said to me, I can't do this anymore. And my right. kids didn't enjoy it. You know, my kids are reaching the age of like puberty now. And if they said, my, I really don't want to be on camera anymore, then we'd have a decision to make. But right now, everyone's in it. So yeah. yeah. And I was off the show when I was on the show, my kids were so little. And when I returned, you know, this season for just a little bit more than just a one scene cameo, which was, which was what the discussion was. We never, I never did do more than, you know, a little bit, but my kids started to watch some of the episodes and my son, especially 16 now. And they're like, you're going to, you can't what mom, like yeah. you know, naked torch, tiki torch throwing. And right. Things, you know yeah. I mean? they, were like, they were like looking at me and looking at the show. Like, I don't even get this. So I did have to think about my kids as well. And it was, yeah. you know, I had trepidation going in, but I think it's wonderful. I think that you uh, have such a super healthy relationship with it. And you're honest with yourself and your family comes first. And those are all the right reasons to do it. So where does that confidence come from? I was not always confident, and I would say that I faked a lot of confidence in my first season, but I'm definitely, like, I feel like I I don't remember a life before this. So I think, I feel confident now because I know that people like who I am on the show. I mean, some people hate who I am on the show, but I think a lot of my confidence came from writing. Like, when I would write things that I was unsure of, and the response was, oh my God, I think this too, like that. That really allows you to step out of your comfort zone. You know, one of my favorite sayings is you never grow within your comfort zone. So I've learned to push myself. And when you push yourself little by little and you're still okay, like you become more okay doing it. So yeah. 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 I'm curious to know being on a franchise that has so many family ties. I mean, I remember when I was on New York and Jersey was really up and coming and it was really a lot of more even family than it is now. It was like super family. I'm trying to think of like Chris Larita and, and his wife, you know, all yeah, they were guys. all related. The first few yeah. seasons, I think everyone was related. Yeah. Yeah. So how is that now for you? Do you find that you get sucked into more family stuff or can you talk about your own issues in pop culture? Can you get deep on current events on the show? Are you able to use that, that wonderful thing you got there in your noggin? There is not a lot of political banter on the show. I always try to come across as intelligent and I always try to make my points in a 
intelligent manner, but that doesn't always work with some of my castmates. You know, there's just, there's a lot of alcohol involved, as you know. And a lot of times when you're drunk at an event, it's not the time for intelligent conversation. So we don't really get into pop culture as much as I'd probably like. Yeah. You and I would have some good banter. I know it. So I want to talk about being on a show and like the proverbial skeletons in the closet or anything like that. I mean, you're very open about your struggles with anorexia on the show. And I applaud you again, another brave move. And my telling of, of our story on the show was My feeling was I wanted uh, someone who was checking into the housewives to check out of their own life, to actually find solace. And wow, I can relate to that. Someone's like me. There's somebody else out there having those struggles. And I wanted to share that so that people wouldn't feel alone. What was Mm -hmm. your motivation other than it being a part of your story and you are unapologetically you for bringing that up? Was there a motivation or were you still going through it or talk a little bit about that? A thousand percent. My motivation was when I was, and I still, I still struggle. I'm not anywhere close to what I was, but when I was in the worst of it, which was a good 10 years, but in the heart of that, I always said, just show me somebody who had it as bad as I do, who made it out the other side. I just was always searching for that person. And I just needed somebody to tell me that it would be okay. And you'll survive this and you won't turn into like, you know, in your head, it's a very slippery slope. Like you eat one thing bad and all of a sudden the next year you're going to be in bed like 500 pounds. You know, that's what goes through your mind. I just wanted one person that I could look to who had it really bad, who had really bad anorexia and learned to eat again and was like normal. And I didn't have that. And I thought to myself, and I, I don't think I mentioned to the producers that I had an eating disorder. And when I was in Oklahoma, it was an opportunity for me to talk about it. And I said, you know what, I'm going to bring it up. And it was really cathartic. And I just talked about it every opportunity I got because there's so I still to this day get so many people reaching out. And it's a lifelong struggle. And boy, did I have it bad, Heather. I mean, one day I will write about all of it. But there were things that I was doing that are just so unbelievable in order to not eat that you know, it's scary. And it really does. People don't realize it really does kill people. And my organs were failing. I had had like the hair all over my face. I was so skinny. There was a winter that I I must've left my apartment like three times because I was just too cold. Yeah. You know? Well, I just think it's uh, so brave of you and I'm so proud and, and thrilled that you were sharing your story. I have an aunt who struggled from anorexia her whole life. I mean, she's like now in her like seventies. She, so she didn't, it didn't kill her, but still to this day, she never came. I don't think she's ever come to terms with it. I think she actually learned to live with just enough. You know what I mean? It's very sad because you are, listen, I don't think that life is made from eating donuts. You know, food has never really been my vice anyway. So when people are like, oh, you're going to regret that you didn't eat donuts. I don't think that's it. I think it's just like, learning how to exist while you're hungry is just very sad. Like it's just not the way to go through it. And it's because of an image, right? That you think you're trying to get somewhere that you, cause you don't think you're good enough. You don't think it's enough yet. It's not where you see in your own reflection, something that you can be happy with. I mean, that's deep stuff and you can't, it's not about a donut, (laughs) but I want to ask you in COVID, 
because there's so many triggers during this pandemic for so many people. And I'm, I just being at home all the time with food around, is there any tips or anything that you can share with anybody who might be having the same struggle and is now home with COVID and has there been an additional struggle for you with it, or maybe it was easier to come, you know, just share a little bit about that. Yeah, no, my struggle during COVID was a little bit different. It wasn't so much that the packed refrigerator was always calling my name. That wasn't it. It was having my home gym and lots of time. It was keeping myself from overdoing it on the cardio. Yeah. And it was also, at first, I said, okay, well, I can't go out to dinner for a few months. Let me use that as an opportunity to kind of like maybe lose a few pounds so when the world opens up, I can really go out and have fun. And at the beginning of COVID, I was really restricting myself. And I said, what am I doing? I can't, I can't fall back into these habits. So for me, it was like the opposite. Like I used it as an opportunity to not eat at first. And then I, I said, I got to stop playing games with myself. And I, I tried to keep things as stable and normal as possible in my eating routines. And, you know, for the kids sake too, I tried to keep the house filled with a little more nutritious stuff. Yeah. Have you been thinking about maybe having your own podcast? Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First and foremost, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor, they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple and many more. With Anchor, you can start to make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership as well. It's truly everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Okay, so I got to ask about the two sets of twins. How'd that happen? Do you have twins in your family? Was it in vitro? Yeah, so here's where the eating disorder comes into play again. I destroyed my fertility, destroyed it. I stopped ovulating. I stopped getting my period, everything, which happens with uh, eating disorders. Yes. So when I went to get pregnant, there was nothing happening. Mm -hmm. So after about six months of trying, I went to a OBGYN and I said, I'm trying to get pregnant. I can't do it. And he sent me to a fertility specialist and we tried a few different things that didn't work. And then we went to IVF and first shot, I got pregnant with my boys and I was thrilled. But I said to my husband, you know, I don't want to wait until they're, you know, too old to start trying again, because who knows how long it's going to take me. Right. And it did take me four more rounds of fertility. I never got my regular cycle back. So I was not able to become pregnant on my own. So it was all fertility. And I am very open about that too. I don't know why anyone, I don't know why anybody would think that it's something to be ashamed of, but surprisingly people are still very secretive about fertility struggles, but it took me four more rounds to get pregnant with my third and fourth. But the last thing I ever thought, you know, I couldn't make anything. I had nothing. I had nothing to even transfer my two of the times. So for me to think that I would have two good embryos to put in and that both would be healthy is just amazing. So I like to think that I hit the jackpot twice. You did. And it's such a testament to the human body and how unbelievably resilient it is, even in the, in the face of struggle where a piece of it wasn't working for you. And then science could come in, 
you know what I mean? And help you. And then your body takes over again and naturally does what it's supposed to do. It's just, it's amazing. Thank God for science. Really. Thank God for science. My favorite thing is the two of them together, nature and science. That's where the magic happens. I just love that so much. Okay. So what's making you tick right now? Got to be things if you're online shopping. Are you Googling? Are you facialing? What are you doing? Are you working? Are you working out like a banshee? But tell me, what's making you tick? (laughs) Um, So I feel like I have downtime right now, right? Like, so we're wearing all these clothes. It's not summer. We're like bundling up. So it's an opportunity. I'm actually, after this, I have a doctor's appointment to go get my, the veins on my legs injected. Yeah. So like little things like that. I feel like I have a two month sweet spot of not having appearances, not having to go anywhere. So I'm doing little things like that. Like I got M sculpt last week, like things that I've been wanting to try. Yes. Like no one's really going out. So I don't watch a lot of TV. I do watch the housewife shows, uh-huh. all of them, yeah. except for one franchise. I watch all of them. So I've been watching a little more at night with my husband right now. We're watching Stissel. Do you know that it's an Israeli series and it's so good. Oh, I have to look at that. Okay. It's good. really good. But you know, just like a more downtime. I've been like, you know, usually if my kids are like, can you make us, you know, hot chocolates and s'mores tonight? I'll be like, no, I'm busy. You know, I have all these things to do and I got to go here and I got to go there. And now it's like, I can say yes to all those kinds of things, yes. giving bubble baths, you know, laying in bed and watching a movie with them. So it's nice. I'm like doing things that I know, you know, I feel like COVID can't end soon enough, but it will end. And then life will resume the way it was where you're constantly out the door. And so I want to enjoy that now. I love that. And I, I hope that we can all take some time as the world does open up again and to remember the balance yeah so much for granted we can see that in obviously the state that we're in all that we take for granted let's talk a little I want to say something about the M-Sculpt and the veins now not everybody knows about this and I've been injecting my veins for I think about four years. So I want to tell you guys what that is. So as you age, you can get veins around your ankles. You'll tell me where yours were. Mine were mostly around my ankles and it was hereditary. So like, you know, by the time my grandmother, God bless her, died in her eighties, like her ankles were purple. Like I saw my future (laughs) and I didn't want it. How did you find out about injecting veins and where were yours on your thighs or like where, where were your veins? During my second set of twins, I don't know if it was the way they were sitting, but my legs were, when I would put them down out of bed in the morning, within a minute, they were purple. It was horrible. I had no circulation. So um, a few years after giving birth to them, I had varicose veins and spider veins. So varicose are the big ones and spider are just like the little red ones. And so I had surgery for the varicose ones. And then I've been going for years for injecting the spider veins. I haven't gone in about two years, but you know, my spider veins are just not pretty to look at. They're on the backs of my legs and they've gone down a lot. So, you know, I'm at the point where I don't really desperately need it anymore, but they bother me. So So let's talk about M-Sculpt too. I had recently just tried that. Where did you, so M-Sculpt is a machine that you can get at a med spa and it basically contracts your muscle for you at like 10,000 times or something. It's like, if I had it on my butt, like the lady was like, it's like you climbed Mount Everest again. You know what I mean? It's like you climbed, you know, up to the top of a high peak again. That's how many months, that's how many contractions I'm going to give you in your tushy on this machine. And I was like, okay, I want to try it. But 
tell us about your, because you've done it before, and you're doing your belly, your butt, like where do you do it? And are you seeing it work for you? And tell, tell me your experience with it. So you do it once a week for four weeks. I did my belly and my butt. And my belly is very flat. I'm just not curvy at all. I was built, I'm built like a 12 year old boy. And my butt is very flat too, unfortunately. That's the part you don't want to be flat. So I had it in my belly and my butt. And they say that you peak four weeks after your final session is when you see the most results. And then the results stay for a long time. So I'm only one week out of my last session, but I am starting to see results. I I see a little bit of contour on my abdominal muscles and a little bit of lifting on my butt. So I'm hoping that in three weeks from now, I see a little bit more, but yeah, I'm definitely seeing some results. But I mean, the first time that machine starts to work, you're like, whoa, what is this? It was funny because I... So I don't really watch any of the shows. I mean, I'm most familiar with y'all's because you're my sisters, you know, you're, we're sister girls. But just recently, because I came back into a bunch of the housewives things and I, I watched Salt Lake City and there was a episode where one of the girls was there with her son and the M sculpt is on his like arm or something. And he's laying there docile and he says, oh, this is the most exercise I've, exercise I've done yeah, in months. Yeah. <laughs> it was very funny. So, all right, well, we'll see if those, I, I think the M-Scope's got something there. So yeah. for those who need a little lift in the butt, try it out. <laughs> Maybe we'll meet in New York when things open up. I would up. love it. I want yes, to meet you yes, in New York yes. and we'll M-Scope together and then we'll go get something to drink. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So I always talk about finding our freedom. And it means so many things to different people. And I think it can change on, on the daily, really, for people. But how do you act in finding your freedom? You know, living fearlessly is obviously something that you do. And I love you for all that. But how do you find your freedom and really feel free in life? I mean, this is going to sound cliche, but you'll be more free and happier if you really do things that are authentic to you. So if you're not pretending to be somebody else, you know, what gives me a lot of freedom when I remind myself that nobody else's life is my business and nobody's my competition, but me, because you find yourself, especially, I mean, even with Instagram, even with my castmates, I'm like, well, who got more followers today? Or, you know, who got more likes on their, you know, solo picture. And you just have to step back and remind yourself that nobody's your competition. None of that means anything. And that if you remind yourself that like you're, you can only live your life. You can't live other people's lives then it really relaxes you and gives you a little more freedom to enjoy what you're doing. I love that. So your freedom is living truly in your own skin because everybody else's is already taken. Yeah. And really reminding yourself of that. My mom wrote me a text the other day and she, I was just going through a bunch of stuff and I was like, you know, being hard on myself. And she was like, you're a beautiful, good person remind yourself of that. You know what I mean? Like you, we we can beat ourselves up and we're so in the, in this kind of like rut of comparing ourselves with everybody on social media. I mean, it really is crazy. And I watch my kids now, you know, because Ella's 13, Jax is 16. You know, I've got two teenagers. Boy, wait till you see the change too. Cause yours, your oldest is 12, right? They're going to be 13 in a few months and it's, it's yeah, crazy. It's and so I've got the girl 13. So you have a few more years with the boys because the 13 year old girl is like 13 going on 38. I mean, they are just so, and the boys, but like you do start to see how the social media, I'm sure your gaming is a big issue because gaming is a big issue for me in my home with my boy. But yeah, comparing themselves and looking and constantly on these feeds and, you know, life is not airbrushed. 
And I used to say that when I was, you know, heavy in fashion design and I would speak and I would talk about magazine covers and think about when you do your, you know, intros or your promos for Housewives. I mean, you got people all over you, brushing your hair, doing your lips, tightening your dress, angling you, lighting you. Right. Yeah. You know, that's not real life. Life is not airbrushed. And I mean, shit, I, I barely airbrush my shit on Instagram, but I still have the app, honey. So I, I love that advice of yours. I think that that's yeah. very crucial and important advice. Yeah. Comparing yourself really robs you of a lot of happiness. I love it. Well, I am so happy that you're happy on the housewives and you have such a great, wonderful, um, you know, perspective on it and keep bringing your joy and keep being brave. We love it. We love it. Keep writing. I'm going to read more articles. Send me uh, thank you. you. Send me and yes, you. one day post-COVID, let's definitely get that drink. I am going to hold you to it. I love it so much. Well, Jackie Goldschneider, thank you so much for being in my heart. Before you go, just let my guests know where, if they don't already follow you, where they can find you. So I'm on Instagram at Jackie Goldschneider. I'm on Twitter at JG Schneid. And uh, Facebook is just Jackie Goldschneider. And if you just Google my name, Scary Mommy, The Huffington Post, Good Housekeeping, throw in any of those and, and a lot of my writing will come up. Oh God, I love that you said that. Please, you guys do. Her her articles are just so great. Super fun, great reads, an, an amazing woman. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much to my guest, Jackie Goldschneider. This is In My Heart. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to follow along at I am Heather T and send me any questions. Don't forget to subscribe and download wherever you stream your podcast and join me next week for another episode. Welcome to Hollaback. This is the part of my podcast where I answer all of your questions. My next question is from Stacy Stanfield. Stacy says, my birthday is coming up soon and I thought I would try caviar to mark the occasion. I don't know where to start though. Any suggestions of what I should buy as a first timer? Well, you are coming to the right place. I love Stacy that you know how much I love caviar. And I love that you're going to mark your birthday with a caviar celebration. You deserve it. So if you just Google caviar, it's really the best place to start. There's different types of caviar. There's Ocetra and different types that you can buy, and they are different price points. You can start with the least expensive caviar. You don't have to go for like the beluga out the gate. You know, any caviar uh, that starts at a level from a reputable supplier, you can order it from like your Whole Foods supermarket, you you know, any, but go to your fish department. The guy at the fish department will be able to help you order the caviar. I live in New York, so I go to the best. I go to the big caviar distributors where they have a Jonathan went on the show. You saw him. He took Carol and I think Kristen with him to pick out caviar for our anniversary So I like to go to the big fancy places in New York and buy my caviar there. But I also buy them from the Jewish delis too, from the Jewish fishmongers. They have great caviar. So you could go to a Jewish deli who, you know, they're kosher. So go to a Jewish, a kosher Jewish deli. You could also find your caviar there. I can't wait to hear how you like it. In My Heart is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia, and Anna Marie Johnson, Karen Silverstein, and Heather Thompson. The show is edited by Maureen Vigas. You can follow me on Instagram at I am Heather T. See you next week.